when a man leaping from a helicopter has a parachute malfunction, it's going to take an act of God to save him now. And then we travel to Claremont, California, to take a look at a bizarre haunting that makes us reevaluate what nature is. Is it possible we are living in a Grand Theft Auto game? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun. Let's go ahead and give a shout-out to one of our newest Patreon supporters. Get them hands ready, because we're going to be touching this. <laughs> we're going to be all touching them. He's like, no, no, please don't. I have a bad immune system. Everyone, give a big round of applause for a scared breakfasts rubik's cube Woohoo! yeah come on in come on in you're like why are we touching this guy because he's a rubik's cube bro we're like all trying to we're trying, we're trying to make all the colors fit his arms are all getting mixed up rubik's cube rubik's cube rubik's cube you're gonna be our captain our pilot this episode if you guys can't support the patreon i totally understand i do just help spread the word about the show that really really helps out a lot Rubik's Cube, come on, sit in my lap here. I'm going to be handling you for the rest of the episode. You're like, no, no. Rubik's Cube, while I'm doing that, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought, our battleship. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're sailing all the way out to the Soviet Union. Big battleships going <laughs> on a little skipper outfit. I'm all dressed up like Donald Duck. I always tell that joke. But I love it. Was Donald Duck actually in the Navy? Why does he wear that little outfit? But anyways, I'm walking around no pants and a blue shirt. And I have Rubik's Cube. I keep touching him. We're headed back to the year 1974. And at this point, we're headed specifically to Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union in 1974. And we're going to the Lvov region of Ukraine. It's June 1974. It's a nice summer day. Sun is in the sky. Clouds are way high up there. You can't, don't be thinking about meeting no Care Bears. The reason why I'm kind of painting this picture is because we're, go- we're about to have a mass witness event. You have people at all different levels. You're going to have people on the ground, and you're going to have one guy in the sky who all saw the same thing on a pretty clear day. We're about to meet the Soviet Army Captain Alexander Alexandrov. And he's sitting there in the helicopter and he has like on his helmet and his little little parachute thing. And he's sitting there and they're currently doing an airborne exercise. So what's going on is these helicopters are flying over the uh, Lvov region and the Soviets are jumping out. To, I didn't know you could parachute out of a helicopter, honestly. I mean, for all I know, you can. This story's totally made up. And people are like, Jason, you can't. I figure if you jump off, you can parachute off a building. You can parachute off a cliff. I imagine as long as you don't open your parachute right underneath the rotors of the helicopter, you're, you're good. But anyways, these helicopters are flying overhead and Captain Alexander is like, okay, guys, let's go. We're going to jump out of this helicopter. Whee! I don't don't think they had fun. I think they probably were a little more professional than that. Anyways, whee! He jumps out of the helicopter and he begins plummeting towards the earth. That's how it always starts. But then some other things are supposed to happen. He's falling down and he pulls his chute. And it doesn't open properly. 
So it's like kind of like, like wind's kind of getting it, but he's still falling. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh, his chute won't activate. He's like, okay, don't worry just yet. I have this automatic device that will trigger my backup chute. So I'll still not die. So he's plummeting towards Earth and his backup device doesn't work either. When it pops, it gets tangled up. And then he's falling towards the planet. So, if you guys ever read that story about the dude who got an occurrence on Owl Creek Bridge, where the guy is going to get hung by the Confederates, and he's like, nah, not today. And he jumps off the bridge and he's swimming away, and like the Confederates are shooting at him. He's like, swimming away. And I remember reading it in college. And he's like swimming, and he like the the fish when he's in the water, the fish are kind of like waving to him. He's like, "Hey, fish!" And then he gets up on land and he sees like each grasshopper on a blade of grass, and he's like, "What's up?" <laughs> the Confederates are still shooting at him. He's like, "Hello, grasshoppers! How are your days?" His world is super like detailed. When he jumps off the bridge and he's like running through the grass, and he's still being shot at by the Confederates. To be honest, he might have been being shot at by Union soldiers. I don't remember. He might actually have been a Confederate. But he's running and he sees like each blade of grass. And there's like a ladybug on one, like holding her children, like shielding them from the gunfire. And he sees like a squirrel, like dropping all of his nuts and running away. And he takes in every detail in this forest and he's running, he's running. And the soldiers are after him. And then he runs home. Which is why I think he might have been a confederate. I think it was this giant palatial estate, this antebellum estate. He's like, finally I got home. Time to go see what my slaves are up to. And he's running home and then he sees his wife. And all of a sudden his lifeless body is swinging from the noose on Owl Creek Bridge. And I, it's, not a, it's not a spoiler warning. The story's about as old as the country of the United States. It's super old. What it was, was that he died, like, and he imagined getting away and seeing his wife one more time. And because we were in his imaginary world, he, everything was hyper-realistic. The reason why I bring that up, it's a cool story. It scared me as a kid. <laughs> I was actually in college, you know, I was in my 20s, and I was like, oh, it's kind of creepy. Like, how do you know, like, right now when I'm sitting here recording this podcast and having a blast, you know, everything's going really good. How do I know... I'm actually not hanging from an oak tree somewhere. <laughs> I'm actually not a Union soldier in 1862. And I'm dying. And then I've imagined all of this stuff. So every so often I'll be sitting there and I'm like, hey, man, things are really good. What if I'm actually dead? And this is just false memories. The reason why I bring that up, the reason why that's not a, that's not a segue coming out of nowhere, is as he's falling towards Earth, I thought this was a really interesting detail, he sees... The grass below him getting closer and closer and closer. And then he sees, he says in his narrative, Alexander, Captain Alexander's narrative, he actually sees the mice start to run away from where he's going to impact. Now, that's impossible. Even what I'm about to talk about is impossible because this is, we're still kind of just starting off the story. But to be plummeting towards Earth and to actually see mice go, ah! And they're like running around and they're like, you you couldn't see that. You would have to be maybe, what, five, 
to 10 feet off the ground, and he's not. He's still very, very high up. But in his memory, he had a hyper-detailed, hyper-realistic view of what was going on. He could see the grass kind of blown in the wind. You could see that, but you couldn't see the detail of each blade of grass, and you've seen the little... And also, how would the mice know where he was going to land? Anyways, that's not even the weirdest part of the story. That's not the end of the story. As he's coming down and he sees this, he sees all these mice running away from where he's about to impact, all of a sudden he is jerked upwards. In an instant, he is hovering in darkness. He's floating through this impossible void, which at what point you would think he would die, right? Now you're kind of floating through this void. And out of the darkness, he sees these two giant hands appear. And they grab his parachute and hold it open. Now, this is the backup chute. It's still a little tangled, but these hands grab the parachute and actually pull it enough in such a way that he begins to slowly descend. At this point, he sees there's this giant, what he described as a man-shaped alien. And the reason why he thought it was an alien, we're in the year 1974, so we're past Roswell, we're past all of the science fiction movies and things like that. You kind of have an idea that this guy might be an alien because he's wearing a spacesuit. He has a transparent globe-like helmet, like you would imagine a, a cosmonaut to be wearing. And he had these large glowing eyes that had this very solemn look. He was just staring at Captain Alexander. And, and yeah, he goes, this guy was huge. He's very broad-shouldered, had these giant hands that were holding up my parachute. And he had like a, he had the transparent helmet on, and then he had a transparent cloak that hung off the back. The rest of him, he was wearing a very tight-fitting suit with a triangular device near its neck with little blinking lights. And at this point, Alexander's out of the void. He's actually now back into the blue skies of the world. And this creature is holding up this parachute. And they're both slowly descending. And he feels one of the hands kind of start to rub along the back of his neck. And he realizes that it's trying to completely untangle the parachute. Because right now he slowed his descent, but it needs to actually be functional. And then all of a sudden, the whole parachute opens completely. And Captain Alexander slowly descends to the ground and then makes a successful landing. The alien is now, or whatever this thing was, like, who knows? I mean, it has a spacesuit, so imagine it comes from space, right? But the alien is now standing in front of Alexander. And the alien waves to the captain, and says something in an unknown language. He didn't know. uh, Captain Alexander couldn't make sense of what he said. Then the creature with the spacesuit flies away out into the clouds. Fly just goes, flies away. What's interesting, I mean, the story itself is interesting, but this was a mass event. You had a bunch of other soldiers who were already on. This was a military exercise. Did I say that in the beginning? This wasn't a battle or anything like that. This was a military exercise. So you had a bunch of military observers on the ground. 
You had locals coming out there to watch. You, what else are you going to do in 1974 in Ukraine? You had a bunch of locals out there to watch. Everyone jumped from these helicopters. There was a lot of people who saw this. And when they run up to Alexander, they're like, who was that? So it's not like they saw his parachute get tangled up and then there was a miracle and it opened. They saw the man with the giant hands floating next to him and fixing the parachute and then flying away. They knew what happened. They were wondering who that guy was. And obviously he didn't have an answer for that. But we might. We might have an answer all these years later. I've talked a lot about guardian angels on this show, and I've questioned whether or not they are us from the future, because some people are saved by older versions of themselves when they're in horrible events. I'll put those episodes in the show notes. Those are so fascinating to me. Who are the guardian angels, and why doesn't everyone seem to have one? And I'm thinking maybe it's because people in the future, if, if a future you has access to a time machine, they can do that. But if a future you doesn't have access to a time machine, you're going to get flattened by the steamroller. You're going to fall off the cliff. Your parachute's not going to open. Well, this alien said something in an unknown language. But Alexander said that I, I didn't really understand what he was saying, but it sounded like he said the words, Papa. So is it possible, <laughs> we have a couple options here. One, that there's an alien language where one of their words sounds like papa, which might mean like, you're welcome, or something like that, or get better technology. Or this was a time traveler from the future. This was Captain Alexander's son. <laughs> it would be so funny if it turns out that this guy actually did have a kid with giant eyeballs, and they're like, sir... Your kid, he's allergic to everything, so he's going to have to live in this bubble. He's going to have to be in this suit, and we're going to put this bubble helmet on him, and Captain's like, oh, man, I got one of those kids. I got one of those needy kids, and the kid's, like, rolling around in a bubble. And who knows if that happened? But is it possible that this was an alien or an angel, right, saving him, or is it a future version of one of his descendants coming down and being like, dude, if you don't make it, I don't make it. The boy in the bubble needs to be alive. So they go back in time and they say, I don't know. That's just a theory. The story itself is fascinating, even without the time travel thing. But, um, and I got this from thinkaboutitdocs.com, one of my favorite websites. And they got it from an uh, article called Unknown World. And that was written by Anton Anfalov in Kharkov, Ukraine, number 28. It's published back in 2001. We've come across the, that name before, Anton Anfalov, UFO researcher. So absolutely fascinating story. He was saved. He would have died there on the spot and it almost felt like his mind was preparing him for that. He was beginning to experience that hyper-realization, hyper-reality view of the world. But he survived and dozens of people saw this event as well. Very, very bizarre story. Rubik's Cube, let's go ahead and give you the keys to the carboner copter. We are leaving behind Ukraine. We are headed all the way out to Claremont, California. Another one of my favorite websites I go to all the time is the shadowlands.net. It's just a repository of ghost stories the same way that thinkaboutitdocs.com is a repository of UFO stories. Very, very fascinating. I'll sit there and read it. Just read, read, read on my off time, which I have no off time. It's basically work, work for the show, but I do enjoy it. We're headed to Claremont, California. Specifically, we're going to Thompson Creek. 
And Thompson Creek is a place that's pretty well known to be haunted. It was one of those places when I find something on Shadowlands.net, the very first thing I do is try to verify it as best as I can. Are there local news stories regarding it? Are other people talking about ghosts in the area? There's a lot of stuff I find on Shadowlands.net that I only find there. And it has to be an exceptionally good ghost story for me to report it if there's only that one source. When we talk about a place like Claremont, California, when we talk about a place like the Mission San Xavier Del Bach or Nettleton High, all these places have multiple ghost reportings, but I find them on Shadowlands.net first. This is one of those places that when you go to, there's a website that reviews haunted places. There's a comment section, so people will talk about their own experiences and they'll rate it and stuff like that. And, and so I started finding a ton of stuff about Thompson Creek in Claremont, California. So it's, and there's YouTube videos of people walking around here. It's very, very well known in the area to not be a fun place to be. It's a, there's a creek, uh, according to the YouTube video I watched, there's like, you know, a goalie. There's like hills on both sides. This guy's walking around and he's like, yeah, there's a lot of reports of not only ghosts out here, but like satanic activity. Like people say, don't be here after dark. And it's not like, don't be here after dark because there's a security guard. It's don't be here after dark because something bad might happen to you. Again, not just ghosts, but physical harm coming to you. But let's look at the ghosts side of this. Uh, first off, because the area is just considered to be cursed, it has phenomenon like the trees bleed. Apparently, the trees bleed blood, not sap, blood. So you go out there and you see a tree and it's all like red and bloody and stuff. You're like, no, no, <laughs> this is what you came here for. You're looking for ghosts and stuff like that. You're like, yeah, that's too much. People say part of the legend is that trees bleed. One of the things I noted on hauntedplaces.org, there was a guy named Michael M. and said, it's a eucalyptus tree. And I guess eucalyptus tree has red sap. So what's interesting about that is even though that was debunked, it shows that the phenomenon itself is true. The observable phenomenon, people for years have been saying the trees bleed. People who know stuff about trees go, oh, no, 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 that's totally normal. However, there's also a rumor that the cabins, there's cabins in the area, those also bleed. I don't know if they're made out of eucalyptus trees. Cabins just built yesterday from eucalyptus trees. But you have stories of the cabins in the area themselves bleeding. Lots of stories about shadow people walking through this area. It's fairly remote, right? It's not like you're, I mean, there are cabins, but it's not like that you turn a left and there's a 7-Eleven right there. So it's not a place you would want to be, whether there's real-life saint worshippers or shadow people following you around. We've covered shadow people a lot on this podcast. It's a real phenomenon. I mean, if you believe in the paranormal, it's definitely as real as a ghost or an alien or UFO. Then we look at stuff. This was interesting because you you this is where I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, apparently, if you're walking through this area, every so often you look up, Keep looking up. No, no, no. Past the ridge. Keep looking up into the sky. And there's a cloud in the shape of a skull floating through the sky. Eh. I don't I, I don't know. Maybe like that. That's something. I mean, it would really have to be shaped like a skull for me to notice, right? It has like chattering teeth. It's like the evil dead skull and the eyeballs are still moving. I mean, clouds look like a lot of stuff. 
I don't know if I would even register that. So either it does exactly look like a skull or see, it's interesting because people are already scared of this area. Things are really starting to just kind of, but again, if the, if the cabins are bleeding, I don't think you have to worry about the clouds. You're like, Oh, and you won't believe it. There's a cloud that looks like a giant cat. There's a bunch of clouds up there. Clouds look like everything. What are they even doing looking up that high, right? I would be like looking down, looking for mice, looking for mice. If I see them in a hyper-realistic way, I'm about to die. Clouds in the shape of skulls, a sense of being followed. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this, that's all interesting. There's a ton of reports about hauntings in this area. The reason why I wanted to cover it, though, was the weirdest phenomenon... We're used to ghosts, right? We talk a lot about ghosts, talk a lot about demons, shadow people, stuff like that. There are parts of the area, there's parts of Thompson Creek that have invisible walls. And you can't pass through them. So you'll be walking through this creek and you'll go, you know what, I want to take a left here. I want to go look into these shrubs and... You will be repelled by a force. It's just like walking into a wall, but you can't see it. It's an invisible wall. We don't have any firsthand reports, at least that I could find, of that. That is a detail that is talked about on just a few of the the ghost websites that I was checking. But the idea of an invisible wall immediately brings into mind video games. Like, the invisible wall is something that has plagued open-world video games forever. Until people just said, let's put the game on an island and have an impossibly large ocean like Grand Theft Auto. Invisible walls. You'd put up invisible walls. Really not even in open-world games. Halo would have these things, right? Invisible walls. The idea of an invisible wall immediately brings to mind video games. And so when I read this, I thought... Is this the border of reality? Now, there's two ways to look at it. Three ways. One, that it doesn't exist and it's just, you know, a made-up ghost story. But there's two other more interesting ways to look at it. One, that it is some sort of mystical barrier that's been put up. There's something on the other side of that barrier that doesn't want you over there and is strong enough to put up a wall like this. Because I'm sure there's a lot of demons and ghosts and shadow people that don't want you going to a certain location. But to be able to warp reality to the point where someone can't pass through it, that's pretty rare. That's actually pretty rare. That's something we've been covering a lot on this show is the very, very more rare phenomenon, right? You have this invisible wall there. You have these invisible walls to protect some other sort of creature or reality or something like that out there right you have that it would take a lot of power it takes a lot of, it doesn't take a lot of power to make it so you can't speak sound waves i mean you can get a good pair of headphones and make it so you can't hear someone i've personally encountered ghosts that have muffled my voice put that episode in the show notes and imitated my voice that's the same episode i put that in the show notes that's pretty easy hallucinations are pretty easy it's pretty easy to fool the senses a ghost makes you taste disgusting stuff you're like oh no not boiled peanuts again ah! you the, the senses seem to be fairly easy to trick hearing things that aren't there seeing things that aren't there but to physically stop a human body from walking in, i i'm sure i've run across it before but i nothing pops in my mind 
of someone reaching a location and they can't get past it. We did that story a long time ago where the people at the 3M factory accidentally made a force field where the fly flew in between these two big spools and it got stuck. Oh, that was a good episode. I'll put that one in the show notes. That's an old one. I love that story. But, you know, it was an accident. And then the, the manager of the warehouse said, oh, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll fix this force field. And then and then it doesn't work there anymore. But going back to this one, it could be mystical or it could be the edge of reality. It could be the end of where we can go. And you go, well, Jason... You can backtrack, obviously. It's not like you're like, well, I guess we can't go to Disneyland anymore. It's on the other side of this invisible wall. You can obviously backtrack and then, you know, go 30 feet down the creek and then cross the shrubbery and then go up on the hill and then walk behind it. So it's not really the end of the world. But just like how you can glitch out a video game, just like how there'll be a mountain range in Halo and you can jump, jump, jump up the mountain range and do like grenade launches or whatever and keep throwing yourself up. You still, you get around the invisible wall, but that doesn't mean the invisible wall didn't exist in the first place. Now you're just on a different side of it. We see the world in very 3D, really 4D terms, right? But that's not the way anything works. The, the it, Now I'm getting real deep. But just because you can walk around the wall, just because you can bypass the wall taking a long path, that doesn't mean that that's still not the edge of reality. We imagine reality as like a plane between two points, and then you have the three dimensions and the fourth dimension time and all of this stuff. But that's not even close to what reality is. We have all these other quantum level things going on. And, 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 you know, so just because you can backtrack and walk around the wall still doesn't mean that if you could, if, if the difference is, is like I said, you can grenade hop through video games and get up over the mountain range and maybe see an area that the developers did, but you can't pierce that wall. Like you can't go past that wall that has been created. You can hack your way through, which goes all the way back to our episode of things like Michigan Blue Hell, which is the idea that there is a warehouse in Michigan. I think it was episode like 14 that you can clip through reality and no one's been able to find that building. It's an urban legend. And they go, there's a building somewhere in Michigan where you can clip through reality. We know where this is. This isn't... Oh, somewhere in the state of Michigan, this is Thompson Creek. I mean, you could literally probably spend a good summer just hiking this area and find this wall. Maybe not even a summer. I, again, I don't know how big the geographical area is. People go there a lot. It's a popular hiking area during the day. But you could find this wall. And you could prove this. If it's really there, you could prove it now. There could be other things like it's only there during certain times, which would make it more mystical, right? If it's always there, it would be something in the real world and would be guided by scientific, even if it's unknown scientific laws. If it's only there during, say, the winter solstice or only there on Sam Hain, then it's mystical. Then it's a mystical force. I would put my money on that because it's definitely keeping unwanted eyes out of that area but really we're quibbling over nothing if, if there is an invisible wall whether there is a powerful force creating that wall to keep people out or it's showing us that yes reality may be a simulation it may be 
that invisible border that the developers created and we can't get past. Either way, it's an absolutely astonishing phenomenon. And it begs the question, you know, this is a popular area for people to hike down. Do these walls exist in other areas that people never go to? Or people go to so rarely. Uh, there's whole portions of the United States. I know I get people get upset when I say this, but there's whole portions of the United States that have not been fully mapped. We have not had a person walk across every square foot of the United States. I would. I honestly think it's possible that somewhere in the United States there is. Okay, this is going to sound ridiculous, but there is a hidden group of like pilgrims. So who knows where these, and that's just talking about the United States, right? Who knows if there are other borders out there like this? And we can actually see, like, this is the end. We can't get past this. Sure, we can walk around it, but with the way the quantum nature of the universe, it's still, this is the border. And could you imagine if we can map them out? I mean, now I'm going full on speculative sci-fi, but... Imagine if you could say, like, here's this invisible border, and here's this invisible... And it's almost like if you crumpled up a piece of paper, all the lines would match. When you flattened it out, it would just look like chaos. But when it's crumpled, it makes sense. You could see where this line connects to this line and this line. I don't know. Fascinating phenomenon. Is it mystical in nature? Is it a natural phenomenon? Which would show that the universe is nowhere near as orderly and clean as we think it may be. Either way, either way. Actually, now think about it, the area has a lot of hauntings, right? You could have this feeling of being watched in shadowy figures because this is the edge of reality and things are passing in and out of it. Fascinating story. And if you live in the Claremont, California area, maybe go, maybe go check out if you can find the edge of the world. We have no idea what's out there. Even just... 10, 20 miles from established cities. You don't have to go deep into the Death Valley or into the heart of the Amazon. These places are next to human civilizations. Is the edge of the world or one of the edges of the world in Claremont, California? And if that is the case, what happens if you try to glitch out of it? What happens if you try to Hack the game to see what's on the other side of this border. Would you fall into a Michigan Blue Hell type scenario? You go past the wall and just fall into an infinite void? Or could your adventurous spirit actually do even more damage? As you push through that barrier, you just don't hack your way through it. You crash the game. You thought you were going to have an adventurous ghost story in Thompson Creek. You thought you were going to come back and post on YouTube how you found the invisible wall. But instead, because you pushed past what is reality, you crashed the game and deleted the universe. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.